Hey, Shanna, did you know that you can purchase audiobooks directly from your local bookstore? Yes. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But with Libro FM, you get to search up your local indie bookstore and support them instead. And if you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to squeeze more reading into your busy life. I constantly have a book in my ear because cleaning the house or exercising is so much more fun while reading. Sign up for Libro.fm and use the code GOODBOOKS to get two books instead of one for the price of your first month's membership. Good books. Good books. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Best Book Club podcast. I'm Jen. And I'm Shanna. And today we are going to be talking about A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Moss. But before we get into that, what are you reading? I just started one of the Women's Prize for Fiction longlist books, uh, The Golden Rule. Ooh, the one that we, the one we want. Yes, by Amanda Craig. And I'm not very far. They're just on the train. Uh, talking about how cool it would be to kill each other's husbands. So that's basically the entire synopsis of the book is two women meet on a train and they decide that they should uh, swap husbands, but like to kill. So (laughs) I guess they get just right into it then. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So it's, I'm not very far. I'm like maybe half an hour and wow, it's going really good and I am liking it. Uh, How about you? Well, this is going to be a little bit surprising, but I'm actually like in between books. What? I, well, okay, not entirely true. I am finishing listening to the third book in this series, A Court of Wings and Ruin. I'm almost done, but it's taking me so long to get through. I think I'm not in a book slump or anything, but I think I'm in an audio slump. Mm. Lately, I just haven't been able to have things going into my ears like i just i turn it on i'm like nope off yeah and then there's no point if you know you're not paying attention mm-hmm. then it's like when you sit down and read a book and you're just looking at words on a page yeah there's no point <laughs> i could be doing another thing <laughs> suddenly the narrator it just sounds like it's like nails on a chalkboard oh, and the no. book is good and it's not really like her voice isn't bad or anything like it's nothing to do with anything to do with the story or the narrator it's just like my ears can't handle any more sound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I am slowly kind of trying to finish that. And then yeah, I just haven't started anything new yet. So I really have nothing interesting to report. Well, that's exciting. You've got so much possibility ahead of you. I know. I have to pick something. I do have uh, a few that I have to read this month. Um, I need to do a reread of Achilles. Oh, lucky. Of the Song of Achilles. Yeah. And I need to read the Iliad because I am going to be a guest on another show discussing Mm -hmm. these books. So keep an eye out for that. So I mean, I'll probably pick one of those to go next. Good plan. Yeah. So for our discussion today, uh, we will start by warning you that like with all of our book discussions, this episode is going to contain spoilers and possibly some adult language. I don't know. We haven't said it yet. But just in case, that is likely. And there's definitely sex in this book, and we're going to talk about it. So even if we aren't swearing, there's that. Yes. 
Uh, so yeah, just a little warning for those little ears in the room. This is the first book in a series also named A Court of Thorns and Roses. And okay, you know, I could have Googled that, but I didn't. And every time I start trying to talk about these books, I fade off like, you know, it's it's the uh, A Court series. A Court. Yeah, a Court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, which is actually why I googled it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really prefer when books have another name for the series as a whole. Like, I really don't like it when it's just the name of the first book. Yeah, it's a little weird. Maybe it's because the main character, Farah, is called Cursebreaker in these books. And once it was realized that Bridget Kemmerer had already called her Beauty and the Beast retelling series the Cursebreaker series, it got awkward. <laughs> Especially since most of the books in Moss's series came out first. I mean, that literally makes no sense. But this is either a really funny coincidence or an unfortunate oversight that I have noticed and questioned. Anyways, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Disclaimer. I have read the next two books in this series, and I'm going to try so hard not to let them into this episode. Usually, I wouldn't be too worried about it, but I think it matters for these books, and I mean, I'll get into why a little bit later on. And I have intentionally not read the next one yet, so that one of us can act as spoiler control. Uh, I know if I kept going, I would start melding all of the books in my mind as well, and then we'd both just be sitting here trying to remember what book we're even talking about the whole time. Yeah, I'm honestly having such a hard time separating this book from the other ones. I'm gonna do my best. Um, so this book was published in 2015 and is well known for being a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. Which it turns out I am actually very into. Me too. As I've said before, I've become such a huge fan of retellings. So as soon as I found out that these books that I have been seeing literally everywhere. Recently. Everywhere. Everywhere, for <laughs> real. Yeah, when I found out that these books were retelling, like I was just totally in. Especially because it was Beauty and the Beast, which is one of my favorite stories of all time. Okay, but before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about the classification of this novel. I went into this book expecting YA because I have seen so many people describe it that way. Like, so many. Everyone. But it didn't take long for me to become a little bit confused because as I was reading it, it was very obviously not YA, in my opinion. No. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> that got me thinking about what actually constitutes a YA book. So to clarify, YA is written for readers from 12 to 18 years of age and includes common themes such as friendship, first love, relationships, and identity, kind of all coming from the point of view of young adults. And as far as the bookstores in our town go, this series is definitely sold in the adult section. Well, not the adult <laughs> section, although it could be. Yeah. <laughs> but being that I have a child that is between the ages of 12 and 18, if someone gave her this book thinking that it was YA, I would be so upset. <laughs> I mean, 
What about you, Shannon? Did you think it felt like YA? Like, am I just totally off base here? Um, I think it definitely felt new adult to me. Uh, I think YA just also has something to do with the ages of the characters in the book. So once, like, I noticed these are definitely 18 and older, the YA idea kind of flew out of my mind. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually recall an age being mentioned in the story. It probably was, but I don't remember. But the general vibe that I was getting was that these are people who are legally adults. Yeah, Feyre is 19. So she is young, but she's not that young. She's not like a teenager, as I would describe one, I guess. In Canada, uh, legal age is 18, and then you can drink at mm-hmm. 19. So Yeah. So 19, that's an adult. Yep. That's an adult. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't really call her voice like super young either. She's pretty mature, I think. Also, everyone else in this book is like at least a thousand <laughs> years old. Yeah. So this book is categorized as adult, like everywhere. I could see it being considered new adult, but for some reason, I just don't really like the idea of new adult. And I don't see it used very often. See, and I thought that new adult fit this one perfectly because it feels kind of YA, but not like all the way. And it still felt like it had some of the lightness to it that some adult fantasy can lose. And I don't know. I love fantasy. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, this just had something different to it. Yeah, I, I do know what you mean. It did get me wondering why a book that has quite a lot of adult themes and adult sex would even be considered YA. And I'm wondering if it has a little bit to do with the fact that it is fantasy marketed mostly to women. So maybe it's seen as less legitimate than fantasy focused towards men. You know, I didn't think of that. But you might be onto something there. I was thinking that maybe it being a fairy tale retelling makes like my brain assume that since fairy tales are for children, that it would be for a younger audience, maybe. Yeah, that that makes sense too. But I think once you get to the sex, it instantly becomes adult. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) But I mean, old bones. old moms. (laughs) Yes. Turns out your bones are older than mine, though. I was expecting some, like, crazy stuff. Oh. (laughs) Well, yeah, we'll get into that, but... We will age our bones shortly here. (laughs) (laughs) Mine will be much older. (laughs) It's fine. Uh, Anyways, it would seem that Sarah J Maas really enjoys pulling from older folklore, myths, and fairy tales, because I've seen this come up quite a few times while reading about her books. I found it out that Thorns and Roses seems to be a retelling of a few different stories at once, actually. So while I went in just thinking it was Beauty and the Beast, it's a little bit more than that. One of them is actually from an old Scottish fairy ballad called Tam Lynn which, if you don't know, is the name of one of our main characters in this book. Except in the ballad, it is like Tam space Lynn. And in this book, the character's name is Tamlin. Okay, this doesn't actually have anything to do with the story or the original story. But when you originally told me this and saying like, oh, it's Tam space Lynn, my brain was like, oh, it was sci-fi? <laughs> <laughs> And, oh, no, no, that's oh silly. Oh, my God. I mean, that would be kind of cool. <laughs> right? So, oh, aliens. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't. No. No, it's just, you know, me trying to trying to make sense of my words because yes. no one can understand what I'm saying, I've found out recently. Well, it turns out I'm not the right audience for understanding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess maybe it is like Tam Spacebar. Lynn. Yes. Does that, is that better? Like, underscore, 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 Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. 
Anyways, basically, the story of Tam Lin is that a mortal woman encounters a mysterious man in the Forbidden Forest when she picks a rose that does not belong to her. Apparently, they must have sex because... She goes home and then finds out that she's pregnant. She then seeks him out and finds out that he is being held captive by a fairy queen. And some other stuff happens, but basically she is asked to break his curse and rescue him. She's pregnant. Rude. Yeah, she's a little bit busy. Uh, Well, that sounds familiar. There's also a part about changing into other beasts, and Tamlin in this book is a shapeshifter. It's super interesting. I definitely recommend looking more into this if you're interested in this kind of thing. These are the parts of the story that are relevant here today, but there are tons of different versions of it. I found the rose part to be really interesting because that's also kind of an homage to Beauty and the Beast. It doesn't happen in this book. Or maybe Beauty and the Beast took it from this ballad, or maybe it's even a coincidence. I don't know. I tried to Google it, and it refused to tell me anything. About the roses? Yeah. I gave up quite quickly. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) So one of the other stories is the story of Psyche and Cupid. This is a really long story, to be honest, so I'm just going to give like the real cliff notes about it, because this is not why you're here. But I'm into it, so I'm going for it. But if you know this story, don't. Don't come after me. (laughs) In this story, there are three daughters. The youngest is the most beautiful. Her name is Psyche, and Venus becomes jealous of her. So in revenge, Venus sends Cupid to shoot Psyche with an arrow so that she may fall in love with something hideous. Instead, he scratches himself with the arrow, which makes you fall in love with the first thing you see. And so he falls in love with Psyche. This pisses everyone off and she's taken away. When she wakes up from a magical sleep, she wanders around until she finds a beautiful house that has like golden columns, a carved ceiling of citrus wood and ivory, uh, silver walls embossed with animals, jeweled mosaic floors, yada, yada, yada. Very fancy. <laughs> very spring courtish. While there, a disembodied voice, which turns out to be Cupid, gets her to fall in love with him, but when she finds out who he is, she's taken away and has to undergo three tasks set out by Venus, including sorting lentils, which may sound familiar to you all. Um, some other stuff happens, but... Um, so when I was reading the book and we got to the lentils in the fireplace, I kept thinking I should Google what lentils are because it's probably not beans, right? <laughs> like, what? It wasn't food in there, right? What are they? <laughs> I would assume. Yeah. Is, are they like actual lentils? I would assume so. <laughs> that I would make in my soup? <laughs> I didn't, I couldn't imagine anything else. Huh. I don't know. Don't worry about me and my lentils. I just don't understand, like, who threw a bunch of lentils in the fire? Seems rude, but okay. (laughs) Continue. (laughs) I mean, pretty much just some other stuff happens. And in the end, they plead their case to the gods, who make Psyche immortal so they can be married and together forever. Obviously, like I said, more happens in that story, but you can see the similarities between both of them, along with Beauty and the Beast, to this adaptation. Yeah, I can absolutely see, like, all three of these stories being put into a shaker and having this book fall out. Yeah, and talking to people about this book has been kind of interesting because everyone seems to see another story woven through it. I have had people mention Cinderella, Rumpelstiltskin, Hunger Games even. Um, And in this way, it feels like it could appeal to a lot of different people differently. Totally. So I read this book first. And as I was reading it, I kept telling you and really all of you listening that that you, Shanna, would not like it (laughs) and not even bother reading it. And then I read the second book and I changed my opinion there. I told you that you had to suffer through the first book to get to the second. I didn't say that because I didn't like the first book. 
because I did. I just wasn't sure that you would be able to overlook some of the parts that I was having a hard time with. But you started it and really liked it. And I was completely shocked. I know you were so (laughs) wrong, like shockingly wrong. Embarrassingly wrong. (laughs) I was going in like ready for a slog. And then (laughs) I was really, I loved all of this book. Like I was trying to find what I thought you thought I would like, and I could not find it. Like I keep listening, like, oh, something really annoying is about to happen. Like I was assuming a love triangle. I was like, no, that that doesn't fit. But yeah. I thought maybe the one thing could be the age difference, because I think we all know how I feel about that. But my opinions there do change with a few points. One, as long as everyone in the story is a consenting adult, I don't care if they're 20 and 70. And number two, it turns out like 17 and 27, I say gross, stop it. 19 and 1000, that's that's fine with me. Like it's so outside the realm of possibility. And also magic. So that changes things for me. Yeah, I don't even know what I know anymore. (laughs) Obviously, I cannot be in charge of telling you what and what not to read. (laughs) I will tell you at the end what I thought you didn't like. We'll save that. But uh, for me, who knows? I don't even know. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe I'm just like a turd. And I'm like, she doesn't think I'll like this. I'm going to love it. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Anyways. I read this book in January, but you just finished it. So you're going to be a lot more familiar with the particular details of the story. Plus, you specifically didn't start the next book, even though you were dying to, so that your opinion and memory of this book wouldn't be muddied by information from the second book like mine is. This is going to be actually so hard for me. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I sacrificed to serve the cause. I am very noble. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't blame you for going on. If I didn't have a bunch of reading I was trying to get done as well, it would have been way harder for me to resist starting the next one immediately. Yeah, you had good restraint because I'm pretty sure I just back to back did these books. I remember you were saying like, we have all year to read these women's long list books. I'm like, no, I have six days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. (laughs) I know. All right. So I guess we can get into what this story is about. Uh, So the book starts out with Feyre, who is a young woman whose family used to be very wealthy, but they lost all their money when the father made some bad slash risky business decisions. She lives in what sounds like pretty extreme poverty in a very small house with her father and two older sisters. Their father is unable to work because he also got his kneecap smashed in by the people he owed money to. So instead, he basically just sits by the fire doing wood carvings he sometimes sells. Yeah, he sucked. Yeah. Pharaoh's sisters, Elaine and Nesta, are portrayed as being like quite frivolous, ridiculous, and just completely selfish. They spend any money they can get their hands on. They don't help out around the house at all or with providing for the family. And to top it off, they're actually quite rude to Farah, who is literally keeping them alive. Elaine is described as like the sweet sister, and Nesta is the cold one. They, I mean, I'm going to sound like a professional book reviewer here, but they also sucked. Yeah, <laughs> they did suck. <laughs> I was surprised at how hard her family sucked, but... And she just kept going on. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to help with anything. And you are a loser. And she was just like, here, let me go out and do some hunting for us. Yeah, I would have been much ruder about it. Oh, yeah. I don't get it. But (laughs) 
Especially knowing her character, like, for the whole rest of the series. Like, it doesn't actually really add up to me. No. I mean, even just the rest of this book. She was hungry, though. I was just hungry yes. and tired. I'd be like, fuck, whatever. <laughs> I would definitely be cooking that meat out in the forest and eating it before I could not, yeah. not bring any home and all that. Like, <laughs> what? I have spite, though. <laughs> so, their mother is dead, of course. Is it really a fairy tale if they don't kill off the mother? Right? Exactly. So, she died years ago, and on her deathbed, she told Feyre to take care of the entire family, even though she is the youngest. And I can't remember how old she was when her mother died, but she was quite young. She's only 19 at the start of this book, so, I mean, she was basically a child when she had to learn how to hunt and keep them from starving. I have not actually considered what my deathbed wish will be, but I might want to start putting that together. <laughs> yeah, it should be a little bit more, like, better <laughs> than It'll this be better, one. but I'd also like it to be mildly ridiculous. Like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe it should be a riddle. Oh, yes. But, so, for this mother on her deathbed, she thought about it, I guess, or she didn't. But a mother knows her children, right? Feyre. Everyone else is completely selfish and incompetent. I'm I'm sorry about this, but you know they'll they'll <laughs> die without you. Don't let them die like me, Feyre. So you like you feel really sad. You're like, okay, mom. No, <laughs> this part killed me. Her whole relationship with her family, to be honest, was just awful. I like her mom was a crappy mom. <laughs> Like, she had just liked to go to parties and stuff. Like, she didn't know anything. Yeah, I would just not be able to take that crap from anyone, even if they were my family. Like, almost especially if they were my family. <laughs> and, like, her whole motivation through the first half of the book is that she has to take care of her family. Like, no, screw those jerks. Yeah, the feeling I was getting from the whole thing was, like, she's super over it and just in survival mode. And, like, you know when the amount of shit is just so much you don't even notice it anymore. Like, what's that? More shit? Of course. That's cool. It's cool. <laughs> I'm pretty much constantly in survival mode. <laughs> and I'm, my family's lucky that they really like me and are really nice to me and do nice things for me, because <laughs> obviously, if they didn't... <laughs> You'd be gone eating deer in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd be eating my burger out in the car and not bringing them any. <laughs> I, I do do that. Because but... <laughs> I've never done that. Come on. No. <laughs> All right. One day... Fair is out hunting, obviously, when she sees a deer that she wants to kill. But she also sees a large wolf. Now, I can't remember if she kills the deer, actually, or if the wolf kills the deer. I don't know if it matters either, but she kills the wolf, and the deer is dead somehow. And then <laughs> she, she skins the wolf, takes the deer, uh, even though she's this small, malnourished young girl, carries the deer and the wolf pelt back home, where her family basically just fights over what to do with the money she is going to get from it. It was so rude. So rude. Ugh. I think they're like, um, are you going to clean this up? She's like, uh, what? <laughs> oh, remember? They're like, I need new boots. And she like has new boots by the door. Like, oh, yeah. no, I need new boots. <laughs> yeah, her boots are all falling apart and have holes in them. What? No. Yeah, basically, Farah is Cinderella and her sisters are the evil stepsisters, I swear. Not long later... A beast smashes through her door, screaming, murderer, <laughs> and confirms that the wolf she had killed was actually a fairy. And she knew in her heart that it was. Yeah, I guess she suspected it, but hates fairies so much that she went for the kill anyways. Which ends up being an excellent thing, but 
she does not know that yet. No. So there's a treaty between the Fae and the humans, which she violated by killing one of them. So now he's forced to kill her because life for a life is their deal. Uh, But he says he is sick of all the killing and instead offers that she come and live with him in Prithian, which is the name of the fairy lands. He gives her the choice, die now or come with me. And she chooses to go with him uh, with the idea that she will escape one day. But I mean, her family sucked. I've been like, oh, no. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Please don't take me. Take me. (laughs) I I remember that this happened, obviously, because it was a pretty big part of the book. But I think I blocked it out a bit because in my memory, the beast was a wolf, just like the other one in the woods. But he's actually like a lion with a wolf head and antlers, I think, which sounds pretty weird. but. Actually, I guess is pretty like beast like. Okay, I did look at some fan art, and some of it was actually pretty cool. <laughs> some of it was actually really not cool, but for the most part, it was good. But we both did the book on audio, which seems to be a bit of a trend for us. I don't know about you, but this scene felt very cartoony to me. And I'm not sure if it was just something to do with the way the narrator read it, or if it was just like how my brain is interpreting things in this book. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But of course, at this point, I'm still expecting to hate it. So (laughs) right. (laughs) Well, it's it's not so bad. It's just like uh, when I went murderer, it was like that in the book. (laughs) It was not an exaggeration. I know it's a Beauty and the Beast retelling, right? And I remember Beast well, then go ahead and starve. Starve! <laughs> I know. It seems fine to me. But just thinking about when Jorah was little, she told me that I was like that beast. <laughs> <laughs> I probably did say that at oh. one point. Sometimes I say it just because I think it's hilarious. Right now, I <laughs> definitely say it all the time. But yeah, that is kind of the impression I got from this scene. At this point, I didn't know it was a Beauty and the Beast retelling either, by the way. I was just really confused. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, this is kind of, I just laughed at this part, and I'm still laughing to this day. (laughs) But anyways, Feyre goes off with him, and when they make it to his estate, despite not wanting to be imprisoned, she's actually, like, pretty amazed by it all. I mean, after living in such poverty for so long, like, she's pretty pumped, I think. Yeah, but could you imagine? And I mean, it also turns out that the scary beast is actually a hot guy. Oh, and the food? And the food, yeah. <laughs> like, oh. There wasn't really a whole lot of bad. But yeah, she thinks that he's a hot guy anyways. She can't actually tell because he's wearing a gold mask that only leaves his mouth exposed. So apparently he's got a pretty hot mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she soon finds that everyone there wears masks. She also finds out that Tamlin, um, that's his name, by the way. This is Tamlin, if it wasn't clear. Isn't just Faye. He is High Faye and also High Lord of the Spring Court, which means he is super powerful. And super super hot apparently okay as another note on my opinion of the masks so this part also made me laugh like this part doesn't get revealed until a little later in the book but we find out that the reason they're all wearing them is because they were at a masquerade party when they were cursed and so the masks they're wearing that night are now a part of them I don't know why exactly, but it made me laugh out loud for whatever reason. I just, I didn't picture like the mask as masquerade style. And when that was revealed, it just felt so corny. I love how hilarious you find the masks. <laughs> oh my God. I was, I wish you could, sometimes you could just see like my live reactions because I was <laughs> sweeping the floor and then I was just like, <laughs> like uh, what? How stupid. <laughs> well, I hate that one book. What's that book I hate? 
Uh, it's got a mask on the front of oh, it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Smoke and Bone or Daughter Smoke, of Smoke and Bone. Oh, Daughter Smoke and Bone. Jeez, I hated that book. Uh, and the cover of that one is a masquerade mask. Yeah, I imagine them all wearing those masks. <laughs> I pictured them like masquerade style. So like part of the face, but it was like goldish leather and like steampunky where it had right. like the goggly thing. And so it looks pretty cool in my head. I mean, I guess my first kind of reaction was like, um, kind of like Phantom of the Opera. So it was like, mm. like a part, like it was molded to the face kind of. Yeah. Then when they said masquerade, it should be said also, uh, Tamlin has just like a gold, like plain mask, it sounds like. And everyone else has animal masks. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Lucian has a fox mask and the servants all wear bird masks and just... Oh, and the stable boys wore horse masks. Yeah. And it was also like dramatic too, because they're telling her the story and they're like, and the reason we're wearing these masks is because we were at a masquerade ball. <laughs> <laughs> but I did feel for them. Like, could you imagine having that on for 50 years? Oh my God. Like, I also would want to tear my face off. Totally. So Feyre's whole motivation and life purpose remains that even though she is comfortable and taken care of, she needs to get back to her family because she made this promise to her mother. And how is her family going to survive without her? I hated this so much. It was so <laughs> irritating. Tamlin told her that he made sure that her family was well taken care of. And I mean, I guess like he was technically imprisoning her so why should she believe him at all she doesn't really know him no but whatever she's i mean she's doing everything he says and is having a good time so <laughs> i don't know if i would have called it a good time i don't know she has pretty good time in this i book. think that we are both <laughs> tired moms and we're like oh yeah. no sexy guy with great food and i don't have yeah. to do any work for anybody yes. who whines all the time <laughs> Yeah, okay. So Tamlin says that he's taking care of her family. He wouldn't have left them with nothing. He's not a bad guy. She doesn't really know what this means, but she doesn't believe him and just whines and whines and whines and whines and whines about it forever. <laughs> my family, my family, my family, my family. I mean, I love my family, obviously, but if they treat <laughs> me like actual garbage, I would just be happy to be free of them. Plus, her mom was also a crappy mom and person, so I don't really know why she felt the need to take her dying wish so seriously. To be honest, I don't even understand why this was her mom's dying wish to begin with. Her mom loved parties and being rich and she didn't care about her family at all, so I thought it was just weird. I remember her saying like something to the effect of a promise is like an unbreakable vow. Okay, that's from Harry Potter, but you know what I mean. <laughs> like instead of dying, it's super bad luck or something. And the mean sister, Vesta, really liked her mom, or maybe I'm just saying that because she didn't hate her, like she hates their dad, who was also awful. I not making any points. <laughs> all of your points still stand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure they had any good luck anyways, so <laughs> imagine if it was worse. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, anyways, so Tamlin tells her family's taken care of. She still needs to get away to take care of them. This is definitely coming from someone who works their butt off constantly. Like you said, if someone said, sit back and relax, I would. Like, I just would. The whole time I was like, fool, <laughs> take a break. Oh my god, yes, preach. I am so round right now that when I am told to sit, like, I sit. I also sit when I'm not told to sit. I do a lot of sitting. It's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, so she is living at Tamlin's house, spending time with him. Another male also lives there. His name is Lucian, and he is what's his job? He Why is, is he the there? Ambassador of the court. Yeah, him. 
I still don't really have that much to say about him. He has like a only one eye. The other eye is like a metal whirling, whirling ball or something. Maybe that's where I was getting my steampunk idea from. Yeah, probably actually that that connects. Um, but yeah. Anyways, so instead of a library, Tamlin has an art gallery. Oh, and Feyre also paints. That's her thing. She can't even read, which is a very different thing than Belle. But I thought it was an interesting way to keep like some of the flavor from Beauty and the Beast while shaking it up still. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is going to be a surprise, but <laughs> do I like this book at all? We'll see. <laughs> I really didn't enjoy this aspect of Feyre's character. The painting, not, not the not reading. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fine. She yeah, it's never fine. learned how to read. That's no, not her fault. Not her fault. No. <laughs> painting, though, is her fault. Just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen anybody else complain about this, so I'm pretty sure it's probably just a me thing. But it just felt so unnatural to me. And I think it gets worse in the second book. But I found her stopping to describe how she would paint everything she sees to be very distracting from the story. And some of the things she described painting, like every available surface of her house, (laughs) sounded stupid and not what I would want at all. She's like, why doesn't Nesta like my little paintings of flowers all over the table? Well, turns out she loved them. Oh, yeah, I guess she did, but I don't. (laughs) I wouldn't want that at all. It's still annoying me in the third book, so I mean, it doesn't improve for me. Well, yeah, that does sound like a you problem. (laughs) Maybe it'll start bugging me too in the next book, so I will. Now that I've pointed it out. Yeah, yeah, I will report back if it starts driving me crazy. But like, I didn't find it too distracting when I was reading it. But yeah, now that you mention it, it was it was kind of a lot. Mostly how often she would say, like, I would never be able to capture it or him or her. And like, I get it, Feyre. You suck at painting. Just right. <laughs> quit telling me about all the stuff you can't paint. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Next, they're just kind of like living. She's getting to know the place. And then Feyre gets warned that there's going to be this fairy holiday called Kalanmai. Kalanmai, yeah. And that to stay safe, she should lock herself in her room. But, of course, she doesn't listen because no one will tell her anything about it. So she sneaks out to see what's going on. Oh my god. I messaged you about this when it happened. (laughs) Something like, not really sure how I feel about the sex patrol. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Of course, I hadn't read it yet. So I was like, ooh, (laughs) sex ritual. (laughs) And, I mean, it was a bit, I don't know, fine, I guess. Uh, It didn't bother me anyways. But I am all about them kinks. Uh, at least all the fairy ladies got to choose to be there, which was important to me. And if they're down for that, go ahead and let your freak flag fly, ladies. My bar is pretty low. Like, don't be siblings. <laughs> be consenting adults. Uh, do you think they had safe words? Probably not. Hey. Um, I No. I no. don't think so. No? <laughs> I mean, my bar is also pretty low, like lower than yours. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I don't know. But all of these females present themselves to Tamlin, and he must choose one to have, like, crazy sex with to replenish the lands for spring. Then when Feyre shows up there and immediately almost gets attacked by three males who basically think they can do whatever they want because all the females are there to have sex. I mean, luckily, another fairy saves her from them. But yeah, see, I was less crazy about that. I mean, someone could have mentioned that she was not invited to the wild springtime bangathon, but instead, they're just like, trust me, you won't like it. Like, <laughs> you know, the cereal commercials? Like, excuse you, I'm going to eat that entire bowl of cereal out of spite. <sighs> 
I, I could really go for a bowl of cereal. <laughs> I also love cereal, but yeah. I don't have commercials on my TV, so no. Uh, no, I mean, it's me. This is probably like a 30-year-old commercial. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I missed it. That's not entirely true. I had three channels. I can't believe you missed this commercial. <laughs> I don't know. This, this commercial might not even exist, guys. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. If I remember correctly, she definitely told these rapey males not to touch her, and they were very much not listening. So that wasn't cool. Mm-mm. Then when Lucian sees her, he tells her that Tamlin will be able to smell her, and he won't be able to control himself. And then basically anything that happens is her fault for not listening to them, right? I mean, that's they could have told her that before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, here's my thing. A bunch of consenting adults having a sex ritual, that's fine. Whatever. Like, I'm not really into ritualistic (laughs) sex myself, but, like, I'm sure there's nothing wrong with it. But when it becomes that the men will be so frenzied that they can't control themselves, like, it gets gross. Yes. uh, Agreed. Safe words, people. Use them. Respect them. Plus, when Feyre does return to the house, she encounters Tamlin, and he goes on to tell her that he can't control himself. It's not his fault. He's not himself. And then he bites her on the neck. I mean, this stuff can happen in a story. It's not surprising. But, but my problem it was how into it Favor was. I mean, he's pretty sexy. Apparently, his mouth is anyways. <laughs> it all felt just like a little bit too rapey to me. Yeah, I can see that. But I think her being in on the frenzied sex aspect of the whole thing, like, would have cleared a lot of that up. Because mm-hmm. she was DTF before that. So, like... I can kind of see why she wasn't too bothered. Maybe. I mean, like, I guess I looked at it through a different lens because I've heard people describe how hot this scene was, but I was, like, cringing the whole time. And here's another thing. The way Tamlin is described is, like, very animalistic. Like, very beastly. <laughs> he, like, growls and roars and bites and all of this is described as being very sexy. <laughs> And it was just not really very sexy to me. It kind of actually turned me off. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Jen is not a furry. Noted. Yeah, you can just go ahead and drop me down for a a negative there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but while we're here, I also messaged you that I really didn't consider myself to be a prude, but I really kind of felt like one while reading the sex scenes in this book. I think that a part of it was that I thought, I thought that I was reading a YA novel (laughs) and then suddenly there was a lot of like sheathing things into other things going on Uh, described as that. I don't know. I was like, (laughs) wait a minute, what? (laughs) And yeah, by the way, this would be where I would be having a problem if my young teenager (laughs) picked up this book also expecting YA. Uh, there isn't enough sex for me to call this like erotica in any way, but the sex scenes were erotic novel level, honestly, in my opinion, from what I've read myself. <laughs> I think because of how beastly Tamlin is, I found myself like giggling more than anything at like his roars of pleasure. <laughs> in the following books, there is also a lot of sex, but it is less giggle worthy. And that is all I can say about that. Uh, well, yes, I guess if you were giving this book to a 13 year old, be like, yeah, it's a YA beauty in the book. Oh my Beast God, book. I'd be so upset. <laughs> 
right? It's like, oh, what? What's the sex ritual? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what does it mean to uh, sheath? <laughs> sheath his thing, and I don't even know. I can't. I yeah. I need it. I need a physical copy of this book. I wanted to do a dramatic reading, but maybe another time. <laughs> Well, I will make sure that I stop and tell you my opinions in real time when I'm reading the next book. Yes, please do. But on with the story. One thing we also know by now is that there is a sickness they call the blight that has been plaguing the lands of Prithian for almost 50 years. And it has gotten much worse recently. And they tell Feyre that it is now becoming threatening to the human land on the other side of the wall. And the only cause we are given is that it's a mysterious she is responsible. But we don't get much more information than that. And I mean, as you know, I get pretty annoyed when information is purposely withheld for dumb reasons. But I actually really like the reasoning for why they couldn't tell her more accurate information the whole time on this one. Like, they do this a lot in stories, but then they give you a crap reason. Like, that's not good enough. This one, for me, was good enough. And earlier than all of this, well, before they're really, like, friendly at all, she went into the woods to capture a creature, the the surreal, Mm -hmm. and it will answer any question you ask it but it's all tricksy and cryptic, you know, because that's just how mythical creatures roll. And that's how I would do it too, so I don't blame them. Like, if I was clever enough to speak in riddle way more often, and I'm just a normal creature. <laughs> but anyways, what is my point? Okay, yeah, it tells her some stuff. But the big one that I remember is that staying with Tamlin is, like, the most important thing. I tried to Google what else, but then I got a huge spoiler <laughs> For the first thing, and then I I gave up immediately. Uh-oh. Uh oh, I just finished a scene with this serial in the the one that I'm reading right now. I bet that was the spoiler. Probably, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyways, well, we can talk about that after. Talk about that in a couple of books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay, how do Tamlin and Feyre actually get together again? I can't remember. There is a party, and Feyre gets drunk on fairy wine, even though Lucian, of course, warns her not to. I think they kiss and dance. And then they're in love. I don't know. Something like that. Yes. Um, it w- almost felt like insta-love, mm-hmm. which is something that makes me crazy. But then also it was like months and months that she was there, but just in like fast forwarded time. So I was like, okay, well, actually she's been here for like half a year or a year. So like she was there for two festivals and then she'd already been there for a few months before the first one. It wasn't a year because I remember the year comes up in the second book, but I don't, I don't know. I feel like it was long enough that I was like, okay, this wasn't a week, and then suddenly they're in love. (laughs) Yeah, I I remember that scene where she's at the party and she's drinking the wine. And I just remember thinking, please, for the love of all that is good in this world, don't do the drunk hookup thing. Ugh, yeah. And it wasn't quite that, so I was appeased. Uh, She drinks the fairy wine, and Tamlin's all, oh, you silly. (laughs) And then they dance all night, And then when she's sobering up, he takes her to that starlight lake and she talks about how bad she wants to paint it, but never could. Of course. Yeah. So they're in love. They're together. Yeah. They love each other now. It's very sweet. But then they're all having a meal and Tamlin, like sensing something, tells Feyre to get behind Lucian and he glamours her so that she's invisible. Resand, who is the High Lord of the Night Court and also turns out to be the male who saved Feyre from the rapists, shows up in the dining room, obviously uninvited. And although she's glamoured, he can sense that Feyre's there and threatens to tell his lover, Amarantha, who is the mysterious she that has been mentioned that causes the blight. 
And then when Feyre is asked for her name, she gives the name of another girl in her town. And then Tamlin and Lucian beg resend not to tell Amarantha about her. Uh, yeah, I knew the second a name came out of her mouth that that girl was about to be super dead. <laughs> And naive little me over here, like, I didn't bat an eye. I was just like, oh, yeah, he knows you're lying. No big deal. Like, Claire's fate never crossed my mind. And let me tell you, I was actually shocked to death when they revealed her (laughs) dead and mutilated body hanging from the ceiling later on in the book. Yeah, that was horrible and wonderful. Yeah, like, it was so good, but so bad. Like, she went there, which is great. Like, I like it when... I'm reading a book and I see how far they will go because then I don't know how far they will go. Yeah. Like, well, if they'll go that far, who, where are we going? Yeah, I was like, oh, man, shit is getting dark. <laughs> that was good. Love that. But yeah, I, I, I didn't see it coming at all. <laughs> so Tamlin, now loving Feyre, knows that she's in danger if she stays with him. So he sends her back home, releases her, and she goes home to find her family, like rich as ever. But they have been glamoured to believe that their money has returned and Feyre has just been off taking care of a sick rich aunt who is now dead but apparently the glamour didn't work on nesta the older bitchier sister and nesta had actually gone to find vera but was forced to give up the search which i thought was pretty nice yeah but imagine your whole family being under some magical ruse and you're just like what are you talking about yeah that would be so frustrating but you know sometimes i like to imagine that this is actually the case in my life (laughs) It it makes things less irritating. Like, ah, oh no, my husband must be under the can't load the damn dishwasher properly curse again. Then I can forgive him. Or like, it makes my three-year-old's ramblings easier to understand when I think like, he must actually truly believe that he lives in Super Mario World. That's the only (laughs) reason he could be so passionate when he's talking about it. But yeah, if none of my family remembered a giant beast busting into the house and kidnapping one of us, that would be a bit much to carry around just on your own. Right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess if my family was under magical ruse too, that would make my life make way more sense, to be honest. I might use that from now on. Might make me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the baby's on the won't sleep, Chris. Damn Damn it. it. (laughs) Let's find the antidote. Uh, I actually really liked Nesta after this. Like, she finally had some sort of personality beyond just cranky and rude. But also, it was just nice to see her family not being the worst to her for once. And, I mean, okay, it would have been better if it didn't require riches for them to not be the world's biggest assholes. But, I mean, I'll take it. Yeah, sure. Why not? I also started to like Nesta a bit more. We do get to know her a bit better in some of the other books, so you do have that to look forward to if you are a Nesta fan. Sweet. Yeah, so this is where Feyre finds out that Claire, the girl whose name she gave to Resand, her house has burnt down, her family's killed, and she's missing. Obviously, this isn't a coincidence, and Feyre realizes that it was a mistake to leave Tamlin, and she has to get back to the spring court right away. When she gets there, she finds the house trashed and everyone gone, but Alice, who is like her maid. I love this spelling, by the way. It's spelled A-L-I-S, which is great. I was going to say how much I hate that spelling. So that's too funny. (laughs) So glad I said it out loud and didn't just name a future child that then. (laughs) Not that you get to choose my kids' names, but (laughs) maybe it would have been amusing to watch you like painfully have to pretend you like it or go through having to tell me how awful it is. (laughs) 
I just think about that poor child having to spell their name and correct people's pronunciation every single time. Like, I know that pain. I have lived this pain. Yeah, I understand what you mean, Shauna. Yes. So Alice pretty much tells Farah everything at this point. She reveals that, like, long story short, because, man, a lot of stuff happens in this book. Amarantha worked for the King of Highburn, which is like another fairyland. They all hate humans and they don't want the treaty between them and fairies. Amarantha spent a lot of time getting all the High Lords to trust her. And when they did, she drugged them, took most of their power, and then locked them all up under the mountain, where she now has ruled for almost 50 years. She has this thing for Tamlin, so the Spring Court is like exempt from this, though because he refused her advances and marriage proposals, she cursed his court with the whole mask thing. And also the curse cannot be broken unless he is able to make a mortal woman fall in love with him, who also hates fairies. She also says there is one more part to the curse, but they're sparred from saying it to her. So she does manage to give her a hint about it though. Yes, so Amarantha is really pissed at us mortals because her sister fell in love with one and was betrayed and murdered by him. And I can understand that. I have a sister. I would be so mad. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I'm just a silly human. If I was a high and powerful fairy... Like, watch out. Goose, I call my sister Goose. Like, I would totally avenge you. Yeah, and I mean, Amarantha, yeah, she's really pissed. She, like, kills him, destroys him, but takes his eye and puts it in a ring and wears his finger bone around her neck and makes him rule with her, like, watch everything that she's doing. Forever torture. So from here, it starts to kind of feel like another book. Like, not in a bad way, but I think you can pretty easily split this book into two halves, like, before and after going to the mountain. Definitely. Before this point in the book, I was still unsure what I thought. I mean, obviously, I've been complaining a lot. Um, <laughs> based on everything I've said so far in this episode, it's, it sounds like I hated this book. I didn't. I was just, I thought it was equally as bad as it was good at this point. But when they go under the mountain, this is where I started to be surprised even if naively. The story took a really dark and twisty turn, and I really loved it. We also got to see different sides to all the characters, which I thought was really great. Okay, so from here, what happened? Feyre goes to the mountain. She stealths around in there for like five minutes, because come on, obviously she's not going to be able to stealth around in there. Uh, It's full of magical fairies. She got caught really fast. (laughs) It was immediate. So yeah, she's captured and dragged before Amarantha, who has Tamlin on a throne. And he's just kind of like blah about the whole thing because he doesn't want to show his cards. Feyre has to make a deal since the other choice is death. I mean, what else are you going to do? She has to complete three tasks, which is so fairy tale style. I love it. Or she can answer a riddle. And I was frustrated that I was listening to the audiobook at this point because I love riddles, even though I kind of suck at them. And I wanted to read it a few times to try and like figure it out. Me too. Well, no, I don't love riddles at all. I don't like them. I suck at them so bad. But I did feel like not having the physical book at this point put me at a disadvantage even though I like I would never have figured it out, but I would have read it at least like three times and then given up. <laughs> I would have like written it on a piece of paper and had it in my pocket oh my and just been like mm. <laughs> In my heart I knew the answer was gonna be something like fate or love or vengeance. But still, like I love it when the bad guys give the good guys a chance to fix everything. Or maybe I hate it. I don't know. It makes more sense in my brain to just like smash them to death and then continue on your evil way. 
But that isn't a great story for anyone but all of us super villains yeah. out there. I would end the story pretty fast. It's so funny because you're always like, I knew it was going to be this or I knew it was going to be that. <laughs> Obviously. And I'm over it's- here like, like literally no clue. Totally clueless. Like the answer is love. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, it's always the friendships we made along the way. Yeah, yeah. And like, I knew that she would get captured right away, obviously, because I've played a lot of video games and I am trash at stealth missions. <laughs> so I was like, no way, yeah, no way could she no, do this. No. <laughs> so task number one is a survival challenge. Uh, she's thrown into a big poo pit <laughs> with a giant sandworm. And I don't actually know what the creature was called, but like when I heard the description, my brain made it into a sandworm from Dune. Yeah, it's it's called the Middengard worm. Well, she fights it and she wins, but she was very badly injured. Her arm is messed up and infected, so things are not looking great for her in her cell where she mostly hangs out between the trials. Yeah, she pretty much knows she's going to die and she's hoping that Lucian will come to save her. Actually, she knows he will come to help her, but she doesn't know if she has time to wait for him. Yes, but Resand comes and bargains with her that he will heal her, but only if she agrees to come and stay with him at the night court for two weeks every month for the rest of her life. She haggles him down to five days and is healed, and he leaves this big tattoo on her arm as a mark of their deal, and she's pretty bummed about it. Uh, It's got this weird blinking eye in her palm, which was weird and creepy. Yeah, I guess tattoos appear on fairies when a bargain has been made. It shows up quite a lot in the books, which I kind of like. I like tattoos. That's fun. Yeah, also the bargain creates a bond between Feyre and Resand. I don't know if bond is the right word in this like situation right now, or if this is even apparent yet, but it does create like a link between them anyways. Yes, more on that in a minute. But I was like, no, Feyre, you stupid idiot. Alice told you not to make any deals, and now she's made two? <laughs> I guess she was dying of an infection, so like I can understand it. But I thought it was going to go like a lot worse for her in the end end than it did yeah i mean she didn't hesitate for very long either she was just like okay deal she knew that she was gonna die without it and she just went for it but i was like shoot that is a shitty deal two weeks would have been worse i was like how many weeks are there even in a month like (laughs) and then okay did you find this as weird as i did okay recent starts taking her every single night as an escort to a party because they're having like weird fairy parties every night under the mountain. Like, is this actually what they're doing every night? <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. What? <laughs> <laughs> he makes her wear this ultra skimpy dress, which is just like a sheer piece of cloth with a cinch around the middle. And his servants have to paint her entire body so that he knows if anyone else touches her. So she's pretty much naked and covered in paint, which I mean, is kind of hot, but also super weird and not her choice, which makes it less hot. <laughs> yeah. And He makes her drink wine that makes her dance all seductively for everyone, which was super scummy of him. So unfortunately, all of those bad points outweigh the sexy factor by like a long shot for me. And poor Tamlin. Yeah, he just had to kind of sit there and watch it and pretend that he didn't care. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing by what you just said that the reasons for all of this aren't explained in this book. So, okay, I'll pretend not to know (laughs) the answer. Yes. Yes, it was so weird and gross. What a huge (laughs) jerk. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I know that she like hooks up with Tamlin in a closet and then she gets her paint all messed up. But otherwise, I I can't think of what you would be meaning. So it must be the next one. (laughs) I guess so. In all honesty, I didn't think it was weird because he was a high lord of the night court, which 
dark equals bad and light equals good, obviously. And he was Amarantha's whore. I guess, if anything, based on the information I had at that time, I almost assumed worse would have happened to her. Maybe in terms of the paint, it was more about making sure no one, like no one touches her more than knowing that no one touches her. I don't know. That doesn't really make sense, but I'm not saying anything else. So stop asking me. Well, and this was also before it was revealed that he isn't like a totally bad guy. Yeah. So everything he was doing seems kind of bad guy-ish. This is where he started like walking the line for me. It was like, oh, are you, are you tricking yeah, me? Yeah, it's really hard to tell with this character. He's, he's a little bit back and forth. So. And then we go on to task number two, which was a riddle. And the problem is that it was a written riddle. And if you recall, she cannot read. I guess she should have taken Tamlin upon those lessons. Yep. Hey, Feyre. Oh, he was being so kind, offering, but no. no. But luckily, you remember the eye on her palm? Recent can read. Thank goodness, he's like a thousand <laughs> years old. And he helps her solve the riddle by using the eye to communicate with her which was very sneaky. Very happy with him starting now, yes. you know. The whole thing was extra stressful because it was one of those riddles where you have to solve it or be crushed to death by spikes. Yeah. <laughs> you know the kind? Yeah, yeah I know. I, I'm familiar, yeah. Oh, and it wasn't just her either. We haven't talked a lot about him despite him being one of the main characters. Yeah. In I the think book. we always leave out one important person out of our <laughs> large discussions. We're just like, ah, whatever. Oh, I mean, what, he was like one of the main characters? Yeah, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> But Lucian and her are pretty much friends at this point, and he is also in the Death Crusher. This was another time when I wish that I could see what the riddle said. Like, I remember it being a pretty fast-paced scene, and it was pretty stressful in the audio for me, so I have no re- recollection <laughs> of what the riddle actually was. It was something about a sheep, I'm pretty I sure. Don't, I've no, that does not sound familiar to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe if we were prepared, we would, like, actually have the riddles. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. It's funner to put it yeah. in the show notes later. <laughs> <laughs> see, how, see how we did. So after this task, uh, Resend visits her again in her cell. And she's like super confused as to why he's placing bets against Amarantha and helping her. Because like in all of the other things, he appears to be on the evil side. Yeah, he's suddenly like the only one who bets that Pharaoh will win these challenges. Yeah, and then he admits a bunch of stuff to her about he actually hates Amarantha and he wants to see her fail. Which was very out of character for him. So he is supposed to be one of the bad guys. Yeah, I was on to his not actually a bad guy thing <laughs> uh-huh. at this point. Uh, and then task number three this one stressed me out it was very it was upsetting it was honestly pretty upsetting like she's taken to the throne room and presented with three hooded figures and ash knives which are like fairy kryptonite uh they they're like an insta kill Mm -hmm. and i 1000 percent thought she was going to kill them and then they were going to be revealed to be her family me too 100 percent or a thousand percent Whatever the percent is, me too. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, I was so, so sure. I was wrong. Even when she was killing them and they were fairies, I'm like, oh, they're going to suddenly switch. die. And then they're yeah. going yeah, to like melt into her family. Yeah. But yeah, that was not it. I was wrong. So thank goodness. But there was still a trick to it. She kills the first fairy and feels like crap about it. And then she kills the second one. And the families of the fairies are there crying. So sad. (laughs) It was so awful. And then the twist the last fairy is Tamlin, 
I know what. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, like I said, so stressful. I, I knew it was going to be someone it had to be. But, I mean, I was surprised that it was Tamlin. Yeah, Feyre is freaking out. And Amarantha is doing a classic evil villain moment up on yeah. her throne of evil. <laughs> 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 then, luckily, whatever Alice said to her comes rushing back. And she has a Sherlock Holmes-style puzzle pieces all fitting together moment. Mm-hmm. And realizes that Amarantha wouldn't actually sacrifice Tamlin. And he has a heart of stone, which I don't know. It felt like a leap, yeah, right? Just a little bit. I was like, "All oh, right, why? This what?" Is, I never noticed his heart beating before. Yeah. Were, were you looking? Because I know how you felt that scene. You were busy. <laughs> yeah. You were not listening for a heartbeat. No, definitely not to be being sheathed. <laughs> there was some beating going on, but it was it was not his heart. No. <laughs> Um, so yeah, she decides she's going to go for it and she stabs him like, haha, I win. Imagine if she was wrong. I mean, she didn't have a lot of choices. No, I guess not. This is where Amarantha takes my villain approach and says, I never said when I would release everyone. And also, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> uh, and then she breaks Feyre's neck, which, like I said, I would have done in the first yeah. place. <laughs> Uh, with her dying thoughts, she solves the riddle. The answer is love, obviously. Obviously, apparently. <laughs> and uh, she says it with, like, her dying breath. And she insta-breaks the curse. Uh, Tamlin goes full beast mode and rips Amarantha to shreds. And then he is very sad while he holds Feyre's dead body. She's having, like, this weird out-of-body experience and watches all of the High Lords give her fairy juice, drops of <laughs> life, I don't know. Little bits of their power. like mm, Here, have some sparkles. As a thank you. So that was nice. But then, bam, she's alive again. And now she's high fey, which is sweet. And I'm not 100% sure, but I think she was, act- yeah, like, I think she was all the way dead and watching everything through Reese's eyes. Yeah, this is correct. She was definitely dead. And through their bond, she could see what was going on. And I think it was their bond that kind of helped bring her back a little bit too. And just as you're saying all this, it just made me think of like, so Tamlin goes nuts and just like rips Amarantha to shreds. What was keeping him from doing that all along? Um, He only was at like 1% battery life. Right. So then when the curse was broke, he had suddenly more power. Yeah. She had like- All the power. She had 100% plus like an extra battery back. They weren't even close. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. It's just kind of like Amarantha was just instant dead. Good night, Amarantha. <laughs> okay, I keep expecting Amarantha to return. There's so many times in like the book that I'm reading now where they're like, and I recognize that voice. And I'm like, da da da, she's back. And then it's not. It's not. It's no yeah. one good. It's, well, it's fine. But no, sometimes I think when you tear somebody to shreds that they should just stay yeah. dead. The one that I am absolutely certain is going to come back is, uh, his name isn't Julian, but it's um, like that. Uh, Jurian, Jurian. The the guy whose eyeball, Jurian. Yeah. Yes. Uh, his finger bone and ring go missing mm-hmm. after she disappears. And so, like, guaranteed he's going to come back in some capacity. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> in Harry Potter, don't they just, like, throw all the bones in a pot and then... <laughs> I don't know. Voldemort comes back. <laughs> That's I mean, silly. Voldemort is just a whole other thing. Okay, well, anyways, I expect Jurian to come back through a cauldron. All right. But... We'll see. Not saying anything. Yeah. So anyways, then it's uh, it's the wrap up of the book. She's like really torn up about murdering those fairies, which is fair. Murdering innocents in cold blood should mess you up. Mm-hmm. And uh, her and Recent have a moment. Yeah. Her and Tamlin have some moments. Yes. And then everyone goes home to live happily ever after. The end. Or is it? It's not. 
There's three more books after this. There are actually four more books. Oh, okay. I thought one of them was like a companion or optional read. I don't really know. I haven't done very much investigating past this book to avoid all of those sweet, sweet spoilies. Yeah, I have also been avoiding the synopsis of the other books because I accidentally spoilered myself while reading this one. But I'm almost on the third book, so I looked for us. The fourth book is described as being kind of a bridging story to ease us into the fifth book, which focuses, I think, on other characters, which I I have not read the synopsis for A Court of Silver Flames, which is the newest book. But I do know who the characters are and i'm not saying anything so don't even ask (laughs) literally everyone else in the world knows the answer so i'm not being mysterious at all but the point is that you don't know i don't think who is it no 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 okay fine i would just plug my ears and yell (laughs) no spoilers anyways yeah the the fifth book in the series a court of silver flames just came out this year the fourth book which was a court of frost and starlight is that the one that's the fourth yeah. one that's the one that's not a real yeah. book or well you do it yeah <laughs> yeah the fourth book was published back in 2018 so there was a little bit of a gap there and the book community was super excited for silver flames to be released it has been exploding everywhere all over my stuff i'm <laughs> uh, i want these books to have nicer covers yeah they're they're not like they're ugly yeah they're so boring yeah. and there's like so many of sarah j moss's books have like a specific sort of a style to them mm-hmm. and i feel like for such a big series that these covers really don't do it justice no. it's kind of part of the reason why i wasn't really super interested i was like yeah those covers look ugly i don't want that yeah but i was wrong <laughs> yeah we should not judge Beauty and the Beast retellings. No. (laughs) Why do they do that? Why? (laughs) It must be a curse. Yeah. (laughs) So overall, I really love this book. Yes, there was plenty of times when it was corny, cringy, and awkward. Okay, there was one part that I really wanted to mention, but I forgot about it earlier. When I first started reading the book, I didn't know that it was a Beauty and the Beast thing. And then I was thinking hmm, this is weird. It sounds like an awful lot like Beauty and the Beast. And then what made me finally look into that was, and if you're familiar with the animated version of Beauty and the Beast, like I think you'll be familiar with this, but there was a line when Feyre first arrives at Tamlin's and it was something like, Tamlin says, you will join us for dinner. And then Feyre thinks it was not a request. (laughs) And I just like, laughed out loud because I was like, come on, guys, you're like actually pulling lines right from the movie now. I did catch (laughs) that one, but I also knew it was a Beauty and the Beast retelling already. So I thought it was like, it must have been intentional, like a little Easter egg for the Beauty and the Beast buffs out there. Yeah, I usually love Easter eggs, but this one was just like a little bit too much in my opinion. (laughs) But anyways, in the end, it was great. I love the character development and the twists in the story. I loved how dark it was. And it led me to the second book, which is so good. Like, I can't wait for you to read it. Yes, I am so excited to keep going with the series. And I avoided it for a long time because I thought it was going to be another YA romance. And I've just not been in the mood to read about teenagers making bad choices. And I was so pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed this one. 
And like, I think that this is the same with the Curse Breaker books, uh, but I actually like this one better. But anyways, that's not the point. I think that these fantasy books feel a little bit lighter because they're retellings of stories I know. And so like, there's a lot of new stuff to them, but like, it's enough of the old stuff that it still has a comfort level built in. And they have nothing to do with the real world right now, like at all. So that's what I need. They are just pure escapism. Yeah, totally. I agree. I like the series more than the Curse Breaker series, which I think is mostly because those books are YA. So it's nice to have some of the similar aspects of those books in this book, but with sex and other adult stuff. Yes. I mean, honestly, in my opinion, this book is actual garbage compared to the next book. Okay. <laughs> and like alternatively, the next book, which is called A Court of Mist and Fury, by the way, makes this book better. So if you okay. really liked this one, then you'll really like it even more after you read the next one. Oh, Jen, don't say that. I'm going to oh, hate it now. I know. I don't know anything. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm no, going to really you will. like you it. You have to. You have to. It just all gets tied together in like this really beautiful, perfect, big, big package. <laughs> Ooh, big packages. Can't wait. Um, I guess I should say like what I thought you wouldn't like about this book because I said that I would, even though now I don't even know. I think because I was cringing so much throughout the whole first half that that just was like a turn off for me. But I also don't really mind cringing that much, like as much as you. <laughs> That's true. So I was like, oh, I it's fine, but she probably should hate this. Also, yeah, it did feel like slightly insta love and Beira and Tamlin's relationship, like. I don't know. I just, it felt, I don't have any specific examples as to why I feel this way, but it was just. I love couples that don't really love each other. <laughs> <laughs> They're like my favorite Gosh. kind of couples. Katniss and Peter. Oh, yeah. That's true. Edward and Bella. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I guess just like the weird rapiness and I don't know. I don't have nice. any solid examples anymore. I forget. But with a lot of that stuff, I can see why you would think I wouldn't like it. But I feel like she really rode the line and stayed on the right side of it for me in all of those aspects. Like, it absolutely could have gone the other way. But no, she just really kept it within the bounds where I don't want to throw the book. So I think, yeah, she goes very far over the very good side of the line. So far that the line is a dot to you. So... (laughs) In the the next next book, yeah. In the next book, the line is a dot. Well, I'm pretty excited about it. I just hyped it up so much that now it's going to be a disaster. Oh, man. Oh, man. There's going to have to be some pretty wild (laughs) stuff going on. Oh, yes. There is. But everything I've heard from everybody who's read this series is that everyone agrees that the second book is the best book. So the whole world can't be wrong. Mm. Remember when we read uh, (laughs) that absolutely awful book? How was it called? I've really blocked it out now. Ah, shit. It was Queen's Gambit. Damn it. it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think anyways. Okay, so a reminder that the book club book for what month is it? May. April. April. (laughs) (laughs) The book club book for April is The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. So if you haven't started it, I mean, we've still got a few weeks, but, you know, pick it up. It's fun to talk to you guys over on our Instagram and our Facebook page. Yeah, you can find us at best underscore book club pretty much everywhere. Yeah, or you could email us at best underscore book club at outlook.com. 
Yes, we would love to hear from you. So let us know what you think if you started the book already. Or let us know anything that you think about anything. Yeah, I mean, most things. Yeah, most things. (laughs) You're smart. You can figure it out. (laughs) Let us know. We want to hear from you. So, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We will see you guys next week. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.